In episode 25, I chat with fellow school wellbeing consultant, Amy Parkinson, where we exchange ideas on our approach to coaching educators, hoping to foster a culture of wellbeing at their school. Stay tuned. Welcome to Well-Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff wellbeing, school culture, and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks, and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and well-being consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff well-being action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. Welcome to another episode of the Well-Led Schools podcast. Today I'm joined by fellow school wellbeing consultant, longtime educator and school leader, Amy Parkinson. While there are many similarities about our approach to coaching educators to foster a culture of well-being in their schools, it was refreshing to hear about Amy's unique approach, which integrates the four pillars of well-being uncovered by psychologist and neuroscientist Richard Davidson. These include awareness, connection, insight, and purpose. Amy also shares her perspective on the most common and significant challenges educators seem to be struggling with by the time they decide to enlist a wellbeing consultant for their school or staff. One theme that emerged from this conversation was the importance of prioritizing our own wellbeing, both on the professional and personal side. Because when we have a good handle over our own well-being, we can become better role models to others that we work with. We create a protective effect against stress and we feel more resilient because we have the supports in place that help us get back to our baseline quicker rather than wallowing in self-pity or pointing the finger to issues that are outside our realm of control. You'll also learn about Amy's growth match approach, which similar to my approach involves a process of diagnosing and identifying the key areas for focus and vision setting for where you hope to land once you've done the necessary work. Having a vision is key to building out the path and actions that will result in the cultural growth that you hope to see at your school but it also acts as a true North Star and a motivating factor for when enthusiasm about making changes inevitably begins to waver. So let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by our signature Well-Led Schools Partnerships, a 12-month program that brings leaders and staff together to create a shared vision for their school and empowers them to create an action plan that leads to needle-moving changes in school culture and morale. Doors to our partnerships open only once per term. Stay updated on program openings and sign up for the waitlist at adriannehornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnerships. 
Thank you so much, Amy, for jumping on and joining me. It's really nice to have you feature on my podcast now after I featured on yours. I had to kind of wrap up our pre-talk because we always get chatting away about life and business and, <laughs> and everything in between. So thank you again for giving me this time coming all the way from the USA. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. As you said, it's so nice to, to see you again and to to catch up, um, but also to to have my first wellness podcast. Um, this is the first time that I'm a guest talking all things wellness. So thank you so much for your support and I'm super excited. I can't wait to hear all about it. It's so exciting. And I remember really fondly the launch of my business too, but also um, I hope you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing okay. Yes. You look amazing and glowing, so <laughs> you must be traveling fine. Um, so, you know, to that end, it's going to launch, launch perfectly into the first question that I ask everybody who comes on well-led schools is what's one thing you like to do to look after and support your health and or well-being? Yeah, I think, I think I've got two, um, that are probably on par. Um, and I'd say that the number one thing that's, I guess, had the strongest impact on my well-being, both physically and mentally in difficult times and easy times um, has been my physical activity um, as something that, man, it helps me break up the day. It helps me with my mindset. It helps me, it helps me feel physically better and stronger. Um, and I guess it, it gives me that feeling that I'm doing something for myself um, outside of the chaos of, of work and to-do lists and things, that it's just a time in the day for me to prioritize myself um, to make myself feel better. Um, but I think another thing that I, I couldn't not say was um, doing things that give me purpose uh, in life is something that I, you know, think plays such an important part in my well-being and how I am um, overall. Because if I lack that, then I kind of start to get just into these loops. Um, so I think my physical activity, whilst also doing things in my life that have purpose, whether that's personally or professionally, whether that's got something to do with friends or family or myself or work, purpose just plays such a, a huge part. So I'd say. Yeah, I'd say they're my two. Yeah, two that spiritual well-being and the physical well-being. What's your What's your physical activity of choice? <laughs> it's actually funny because I I also said that and I thought, oh, that kind of happens in chunks too. <laughs> um, so I mean, the two years that we lived in Japan um, was not a physical activity time. Um, so that's two <laughs> years. But I do, um, you know, even if it's just getting out for a walk um, or doing a little bit of yoga at home or anything like that, moving my body to some extent. I've gone through different ways of physical activity. I mean, I got into a really into the gym and then I got really into boxing and then I got really into dancing and it kind of changes. Um, but at the moment it's, um, classes at the gym, um, rather than working out on my own, it would be classes at the gym. So it varies and it's not consistent. (laughs) Um, but most definitely it is one thing that definitely helps. Um, and if I'm conscious of it, it makes a huge difference. I think that I think owning the fact that it varies and it's not consistent is really important because I think sometimes when we get into a space of looking to improve our health in particular with our physical health, we think that um, consistency comes really easy. And I think that because we don't move the way I guess we would have moved for you know millennia, which was just being nomadic and walking around and doing more functional movement and we have to kind of plug in the time now to go to almost enforce that similar kind of movement pattern. It's hard amongst modern day life. And I find it really hard to be consistent as well. So it's about, as you said, 
either signing up to the classes sometimes or getting the trainer or finding the walking buddy to keep that motivation going because I think it's a bit of a fallacy that that's an easy thing to achieve um, on our own. And I, sure. when I was working one-on-one with clients, I said, you've you've got to make it fun and interesting and, and sort of pair it with something that you that either motivates you or lights you up or you find worthwhile, you know, that social element too. So I think that that's important that people in our space do acknowledge that's not as easy as many might make it out to be and that's okay and that's normal too. For sure, for sure. And that it is, it's going to change with different seasons in your life. Mm. You know, I, yeah, as I said, I was all into certain things at certain times and now I couldn't think of anything worse than going into a boxing class. (laughs) And working as hard as I used to a couple of years ago, like it just doesn't interest me at all. But at the time I was all about it. I took people from work there. Like I was all about it. I loved it. And now I just think, oh no, like that's not for me anymore. So I think acknowledging that in different seasons, it's going to change as well is so important. Yeah. I'm eight months pregnant. Hello. After all my <laughs> a few times a week, they're like, you're amazing. I was like, uh, I haven't been here in two weeks. This is the first time back, but thank you. <laughs> Love it. All right, Amy, could you please tell the audience a little bit about who you are, what you do, and your journey up until this point? For sure. I'd love to say that there was a big uh, light bulb moment or something massive in my life, but I I can, I guess, confidently say things have just sort of progressed slowly without any big, too big hunches. Um, And I've been fortunate enough to work in the education space for over 12 years um, as a teacher and a school leader and only recently have stepped away from the schools um, to work from the outside um, to help them. So I guess if I start right back, I actually started doing an event management degree um, when I first came out of high school because the um, very knowledgeable careers coach that I had met once in my life (laughs) at the library um, read my school report, read my school report and saw that I was organized and productive and social. And she was like, you know what? You'd be a great event manager. I was like, done. <laughs> Went we do to university. Education. We do do that as teachers. Yeah. So I, sure enough, I, I took it on board and looked into it and I thought that looks cool. Um, so I got two years into that and put on a, goodness me, I kind of remember what they were called, uh, or like an internship um, for a charity and did this big bike ride from Sydney up to the tea gardens. And the event went really well. I actually quite enjoyed the process, I guess, but I kind of got to the end of it. And coming back to that purpose and fulfilment part that I mentioned before, I kind of got to the end of it and I was like, nah, I'm not sure this world's for me. Like, not that I didn't enjoy it, not that it didn't go well, but it's kind of a bit of a flop at the end. And I just was like, I don't know if this is for me. So anyway, kind of very long story short, ended up um, doing a double degree in education. Um, so it was a bit of a, I then went back to university to do that. So by the end of that double degree, I had been at uni for six years and I was well and truly ready to get out of there. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get into a job straight away um, at a, a prestigious boys school in Sydney. Um, and I actually landed a leadership position in my second year. And whilst at the time, or not even whilst at the time, whilst that was exciting and a wonderful opportunity and so much came with that, man, um, there was so much I didn't know. Um, And it just played such a huge part in my stress levels, workload, managing expectations, pressures, teamwork, deadlines, like all these things that I actually didn't even know how to function in my classroom yet. And I had, was leading a team. So 
I got involved in um, women's school, or women in leadership school communities, which were really powerful at the time. Um, and I was really, really lucky that even though I guess the self-care basics I was lacking because there was just so much on my plate, I had a really supportive leadership team at the time that I knew were had my best interests at heart um, and they're still, all of them are still very highly regarded mentors of mine now. Um, but at the time um, it was it was all in and it was all go. Um, and I think on reflection, there's part of it that if I could, not that I regret things, but on reflection um, or my advice to someone else would probably be to, to knuckle down the basics first um, because the overwhelm that came with taking on that leadership in the second year was a real struggle and I think to some extent was a little bit detrimental um, to, to some elements of, of my career. But at the same time, I then stayed in leadership the whole time until the last two years. So I grew a lot through it and it was an amazing opportunity, um, but it really threw me in the deep end early. Um, I went on to leading whole school initiatives and I think that was one of my biggest career highlights was seeing the success of something whole school um, be successful. And it was just truly heartwarming, heartwarming. And by then I had sort of got into the groove of managing my classroom, managing my team and running a, a whole school initiatives. <laughs> and then I thought, do you know what? I want to get my master's of educational leadership. So I'd, <laughs> I decided to go and do that, which was just wild. My plate was just overflowing. And I said to you before we press record, I've kind of always um, been very driven um, and love a challenge. And yes, at times taken on way too much, um, but again, it comes back to that purpose and it's a drive for me that, you know, actually fulfills me a lot. So um, we then decided to, COVID happened um, and we decided to go to Japan. Um, I got a job over in Japan. Um, I decided to step away from school leadership and just be a classroom teacher um, and do it on the other side of the world. So Eric and I packed up our lives um, and immersed ourselves in the culture of Japan um, and man, it was incredible. I mean, obviously the, the professional part of it, but the travel and the culture and all these bucket list items that we got to do were just phenomenal. We climbed Mount Fuji. Um, we, do you know what's funny? I like, we did heaps of things. We traveled literally all over Japan. We skied in the most incredible ski fields in the world. Like it was truly incredible. And then obviously we've just gotten to California, um, and sort of reflected on our two years without the chaos of trying to pack up everything. And I said to Eric the other day, I think there's probably three takeaways I've taken from living in Japan that I think were will have an impact in what I do, obviously through wellness, um, but just in life. And that being their, their unique insights and their emphasis on discipline, um, respect and mindfulness. I mean, they manifest these in so many ways over there, their punctuality, their cleanliness. For anyone that's been to Japan, there's never any rubbish anywhere in that place, the importance of harmony and appreciation for nature. And when I talk about harmony, I'm talking about, you know, you could be on the train and literally hear a pin drop. It is silent. And as much as, you know, some cultures would be like, oh, where's the social interaction there? The quiet space I had going to work on a, on a Tokyo subway, um, because it was silent, was actually such a nice way to start the day. But from the culture that I've come from and that, you know, majority of the world live in, that is so foreign. Um, so that was something we took away and the appreciation of nature. Um, and that, that was huge. Um, so that's that ramble there. While we were there, I decided to start the Wonders of Wellbeing podcast. Um, I had no goal or direction. I just knew that my time as a teacher was coming to an end and I wanted to do something in the wellbeing space because I had always been extremely passionate about it. And 
I thought I want to better upskill myself and learn what's happening around the world in this space. So I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to talk to people around the world. No goal, no directions, no intention other than to learn. And I thought, while I'm learning, maybe some other people can learn and I'll push it out to the world. And before I knew it, I had got to 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 episodes um, and had literally spoken to thought leaders around the world in the space. And it was just incredible. I, the research I got from that was just mind-blowing. Um, I then actually got involved with a careers coach because I was feeling a little bit lost. Um, and Eric was very, very keen for me to have one. And I sort of dissed it for quite a while. No, I don't need that. I can work it out. I don't need one. Anyway, ended up finding two incredible girls in Melbourne um, and they just helped me sort of unpack everything, Um, what I had done, what my skills were, all these sorts of things, but most importantly, what my vision was and what I wanted life to be and where my passions were. Um, So I decided to do a coaching certification, a health and wellness coaching certification, which I finished. Um, And not that it would surprise many people. It was actually a year's course that I did in six months. I just crammed it all in and got it done. Um, And so here we go. I've now got wellness. So I've combined a whole bunch of things over the last 12 years that I've learned um, to create wellness. And I think having seen firsthand how well-being easily become such a low-level priority when other pressing issues um, demand attention in school settings. And I just, I really want to change that and I want to help school leaders do that. So my vision for wellness is to plant well-being at the heart of who schools are and what they do. And the consultancy side of it is definitely supporting school leaders because often they don't even know where to start. Um, and even if you were to tell them where to start, it's then the next steps that they're lost with because it's not something that they're, they specialize in um, and it's not an area that they know well. Um, and then the coaching side of it, Um, is also there to help individuals and teams um, within schools and sort of come at it from that angle as well. So I guess that's, I'm sorry, that was an absolute blabble there about everything, but that's kind of where, why I'm here and how I got here and what the journey's been so far. Yeah. And I want to, I I love that. Thank you for sharing. And I want to rewind back to that element of getting into a leadership position really early because while you don't, you know, you were saying, oh, my story's just kind of, it developed and I got to this place, there's, you know, there was no sort of big traumatic and (laughs) pivotal moment that meant that I ended up in that wellbeing space. I think I know that there are a number of leaders in schools out there, particularly our middle leaders, who are in leadership positions really early in their career with very little teaching experience, let alone life experience and then leadership experience. And we overcompensate for a lack of those skills and capabilities, not because we're not good at our job, but because we just simply haven't put all of the tools in our toolkit yet. We almost overcompensate there with the things that we do know how to do really well. And I think back to my early journey, which was all of those administrative things and planning documents and sort of rallying the teams in those ways. And all of that work is um, really exhausting and hard. And we then sort of almost like the things that are really important slip away, like, you know, building our teams and managing people and, and, and motivating change or even change management because we don't have the know-how on that. And then things almost begin to bubble under the surface, don't they? And then we all of a sudden mm-hmm. find that we're in really tricky positions, which then leads to that burnout for us because we're putting all of our energy into the areas that we know well but don't actually you know, support the well-being of us, our staff, and then the culture of our team and, and ultimately the whole school, which is potentially, I think, why in a lot of schools we are facing some of the well-being challenges that we um, are, you know, are battling today. 
Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember I hadn't even, I don't think I, because it happened in my second year, I think one of my really difficult parent conversations ended up happening in that second year. Like I had kind of, the first year had gone quite well and the meetings with parents had been fine. I hadn't had any difficult parents that that first year. But the second year I'd stepped into leadership, another teacher had had some issues in my team and I needed to go into that meeting. And I remember the night before thinking, what am I, what am I doing? Like, why is this me? Like, I'm going in as the leader of this team to support this teacher with this parent and I haven't even done it as a classroom teacher, you know? Yeah. So it was all these like, not not little, I mean, a, a, an upset parent is not a little issue, but I mean, it was all these little things that I hadn't even actually done for the 20 little boys at the time in my room, let alone, you know, the other classes in the grade and, and, and their students. So it's just all these, as you said, all these little things that build up that then, you know, I don't know how the other teacher felt. They knew that I was a new grad and a teacher, you know, a new, sorry, a new grad and a new leader. Um, so I don't know how much confidence they had in me the night before as well. You know, that impacts them as well, that that the people around you know the truth about, you know, the situation and, you know, it, it all ended up being fine. But yeah, you're right. I mean, sometimes I think they're too young and inexperienced to be in it. And whilst, as you said, it's the growth and opportunities that came from it were amazing. But at the time, um, yeah. and if you could maybe plan it a different way, there would be a lot of other things that needed to happen before I took that on. So, yeah. And I think what you and I are both pushing, we'll hear more about um, wellness as we move through this episode. Um, but what you and I are all about is equipping schools, not only staff, but also their leaders with the skills to be able to support staff for being and a positive school culture, um, which really is supportive of those middle leaders because we as senior leaders need to consider, okay, you know, we're promoting these people up who are very capable, very capable teachers or highly organised or, you know, event planners at heart. <laughs> um, but do they have that that well-rounded range of skills and abilities to be able to handle the role because they are ultimately the role models for the staff who work underneath them and how they're faring the research shows directly has has an impact on the thriving of the staff that they're leading so um we can be promoting people with very little experience that's fine but how are we going to develop them what support will we offer them um who will we hire to guide them along that process because we have a thousand and one things to do as principals and 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 as deputy principals and i think working with people um like yourself who have had that experience is is so rewarding for our middle leaders and those you know, early career leaders as well um, because we resonate with them and, and we know what it feels like and, and, and in hindsight we'd be like, oh, I wish that I had have come in with this set of skills and abilities to be able to support myself and my team, uh, which, is, which, is, which is really what a good wellbeing approach, consultancy mm. approach in your school entails as 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 you will know and I know, it's about more than just self-care. Um, and so that coaching element that you offer and, and working with the leaders and the staff is, is really important. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think schools are starting to pick it up. One school I'm working with at the moment has their HR team involved with me, which is amazing because they are, you know, play such a huge role in 
who's prioritized, who comes in, who they interview, like they just play such a huge role. So super exciting that schools are starting to see that or really listening when we're, you know, sort of going in and saying, this is what, like, if you're serious about this, this is the level that we need. And if you've got a HR department, they need to be part of this part of this consultancy phase because this is really important and this is why. Um, So schools, I think they are adjusting to it, but there's only, yeah, there's only one that I'm working with at the moment that's got their HR team involved. So so great. Yeah, I, I spoke um, a while back with Deb Houston. She's a hiring strategist around how to hire for culture and well-being, and it's making sure you pick the right person mm. for the role. You know, long gone are the days of um, I'm thinking more of a, in a leadership position at the moment, but hiring an, only an instructional leader, you really need somebody with that emotional intelligence and that, you know, relational capability to be able to build and support the teams that we're looking for but we digress <laughs> anyway as always yeah I know and I'm very impressed that you managed to I'm assuming complete your master's of educational leadership mine's been I've been doing mine for about 10 years I've got three <laughs> units to go I'm like oh god I'll be 50 by the time I actually <laughs> hey there's no rush doesn't have to be there consistent that there's is, no that's rush true. that's true <laughs> you can um, only do what you can do no, they must see me on the enrollment and go, she's still here. I'm like, I just keep <laughs> She's deferred. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, children are moving and <laughs> all of the things. All right. So um, so in your work with Wellness, so you've established your uh, consulting company where you're working with schools to improve staff well-being and, and, and culture. And as you mentioned, you offer um, a range of services. So, you know, working with the leaders, with staff, with teams, um, and and ultimately the whole school to be able to sort of build and embed that approach that's going to be the most supportive of the setting that you're working with. And we'll unpack that as we go. But I do know that in your approach to supporting schools and staff, you utilise the work of Richard Davidson. Can you explain a, a bit to the audience about this approach and how it supports educators and schools? Yeah, for sure. Um, so Richard Davidson, he's a renowned neuroscientist and psychologi- um, psychologist, and he identified these four pillars of well-being: purpose, awareness, connection, and insight. And I was introduced to his work a couple of years ago, and since then I've purposely spent time connecting his his work to the well-being in schools. Um, and I, I actually really quickly realized that these pillars are highly relevant to staff well-being in any workplace, um, but of course in a school can- context, which is my focus. And in fact, they're they're actually a crucial framework for the work that that I do, um, but for the work that schools can have in understanding and fostering a positive work environment um, through the science of well-being. So this is sort of the science part of the hat that I'm wearing, um, and it encompasses the science part, and then obviously the consulting part is kind of the art of it, like how are we going to use this science with what's actually happening to to make change. So that was kind of the foundation of that. And it actually trickles like those four pillars, his four pillars trickle through the consulting approach um, that I have, but also through the coaching sessions, whether that's individually with a start with like one person or whether it's in some of the teams. So I've sort of made it work um, and worked hard to come up with ways to have these four pillars across the three services that we offer. Um, And I know we're not going into the wellness consultancy approach, but there is an analogy that I've taken about a sunflower and a, a garden bed and working with five phases with schools over time um, to grow a culture of well-being. And I used the word grow because change is change in culture, I think, for a lot of people is 
are big words. And I think sometimes a little bit of a deterrent or just make people feel a sense of overwhelm um, or stress or anxiety around how big those concepts can be. So I sort of played around with words a little bit to come up with a, a growth map because I also wanted schools to know that it's going to take time, that growth doesn't just happen. And I know they know that it's going to take time, but it really, really takes time Um, and it takes consistency to get it right. So I've been really careful with the wording that I've used um, for various reasons, but the analogy comes from the idea of a blossoming flower symbolising a school that's flourishing. Um, But in order for that flower to do that, there's a lot of tender love and care that needs to go into it. So the whole consultancy approach is in five phases and each phase is part of that tender love and care that helps that flower grow, obviously, um, but obviously in our in our case, schools to flourish. So um, the first pillar, purpose, um, kind of refers to having this, obviously this sense of, of meaning and direction in the work that we do as an, at an individual level. Um, and I know that we talk often about, <coughs> pardon me, sorry, We talk often about collective being the most important, but there are individuals in this collective that need some one-on-one attention. And that's where my passion for that one-on-one coaching comes in, whether that be part of the consulting work that I do, or whether that be in like someone that's not even using my consultancy services, but I'm actually helping either their teams or their individual teachers with various things. So I just feel like it's essential for teachers to have a deep sense of purpose in their role. And sometimes that's lost. Um, and part of um, his pillar of purpose helps us bring that back and sort of unpack that. Um, School leaders can support this. Oh, sorry. I was just saying that's so important because we work in a purpose-filled profession, but I think, you know, you use the word sometimes that's lost. I think that's being lost more and more now uh, in all of the noise in education and finding that, again, really does need to be at the heart of what we do. So I think that that's such a great emphasis on, you know, that element of meaning in our role Um, because that's the thing that ultimately gets us to continue coming in to a really um, otherwise, you know, in comparison to many other professions, quite stressful role is the purpose. And if we lose that, um, that's where we can feel overwhelmed by everything else that's going on. So it's so important. I love that that sits as a pillar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's purpose it's purpose, um, uh, as I said, as an individual teacher, but as a team, what is the purpose of the team? But then what's the purpose of the school? So again, as I mentioned, it's these pillars are sort of connect to all the services that we provide because they've all just play such an important part. And that's why when I looked at his work, I was like, this is perfect. Like This is exactly the science behind making a culture of wellbeing at a school actually happen and be successful. The second pillar is connection, and that emphasises the importance of social relationships and this sense of belonging. Um, You know, staff wellbeing is significantly influenced by the quality of relationships within the school community um, and creating supportive and collaborative culture where staff members actually feel connected to their colleagues and their students and the administrators and the leaders when we don't have this this idea of time to be able to do that is getting lost more and more. Um, And so it's just encouraging teamwork and fostering, you know, open communication and all these things that help people feel like they've got a sense of belonging and they feel safe to be able to share things is that that second pillar that plays just such a crucial role again across all the services that we help schools with. The third pillar is awareness. And this is the, to me, this is the most interesting of the three in terms of what you can extract in the data that I get back from schools Um, because awareness highlights the significance of your own self-awareness, but your awareness of how you perceive other things to be. 
Um, and that's where in the wellbeing survey that we've created or the needs-based assessment, the, the part there on awareness is, is always the most interesting to get back because it's interesting to see and hear how people see themselves um, and what their perceptions are of certain situations and environments and their own strengths and weaknesses. Um, and I guess it allows teachers to recognize their needs, it helps them address their emotions, their boundaries, their energy, how they maintain and what they do um, to take responsibility for their own wellbeing um, and where they feel that line is between what they're responsible for and what the school's responsible for. Um, the fourth pillar is insight. The last one is insight. And this involves understanding, understanding like oneself and others, but on a deeper level. So gaining, you know, I don't know, insight through professional development, enhancing your teaching skills, your emotional intelligence, your self-reflection, um, and supporting them to gain insights into their own strengths, their own challenges, their areas for growth um, in order to increase and, and lead their well-being. So those four combined trickle into to the three services that we offer and sort of are the, are the framework and the crux of what we feel is the science behind a successful um, school culture when it comes to well-being, and then the steps of how we do that because it can all science can all be quite fluffy. It's like okay, but now what do we do with that? You know, you're, you're telling me about this man from you know forty years ago came up with this, and now you're telling me that you're going to use this to create a culture of well-being in the 21st century classroom. Um, how does that connect? And and that's where I come in is to connect the science with the art, and also to make sure that. The art is going to be, is and will continue to be different in every school that I work with. The science is staying the same, but the art's changing. Um, and that's where that skill set and that strength that I have to help schools comes in to, to help them with that art part. Yeah, I always say that well-being is a beast because it's interwoven with absolutely everything, everything. that we do across the school. And so, you know, I love that um, those four pillars because all of them are, are you know, a, a hero in many different styles and uh, of research or approaches, um, but it sums it up really nicely. And, you, you know, as you were saying, it's around sort of working out where each school is at and then tweaking your approach and your messaging based on that school. But I think that what resonated most out of those four pillars was the insight um, because it takes a while for us to get to that point of insight. And, you know, as you've as you've mentioned, sort of focusing on those other areas is really important. But that insight offers perspective. And I think many of us just as individuals don't have that perspective, um, you know, outside of ourselves, which is really normal. I mean, we're, we're individuals. But those opportunities to, to build awareness and then develop our insight, I really think is where a lot of the change or the growth, as you were saying, comes from. Because I think when we develop that insight, that's a big, actually just a big part of the challenge in schools. Mm -hmm. is the lack of insight. And once we get that, we realise, oh, actually things aren't as awful as we've perceived them to be or as challenging or, um, you know, maybe we are being looked after in ways that we didn't recognise before because we gained that insight. And I think just that shift in perspective is so powerful rather than a lot of the time some of the actions or the initiatives that we put in place to support staff well-being. It's a big component. For sure. For sure. And I think it's one of those things as well where, you know, ha having been a teacher for so long and other teachers, you know, move on to other schools and you then talk to them and you're like, how's your new school? And they're like, oh, 
oh, they don't do this and they don't do the, oh, it's different to this. You know, they're quite negative about their change. And I heard a quote a while ago that said that the grass is only greener if you water it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, again, they're what they perceive things to be where they were as a bit stale or a little bit negative or a little bit of blame or a little bit of whatever. And then they've moved and thought, actually, hang on a minute. These were all the things that actually I were going unnoticed that I had forgotten to acknowledge or I was blind to or whatever it might be. And then they've moved and thought, oh, hang on a minute. Actually, the insight that I did have there that I wasn't looking at or seeing uh, has actually made me appreciate what I did have um, is huge. Yeah, and I think having these conversations as teams, as individual staff and as a whole school is really important. You know, I was in a school just last week and we were talking about, um, you know, what it means to be a well-led school Um, and it was funny because you can see as people were talking in their narrative they're looking for improvement. So that was kind of coming through in the things that, you know, they're highlighting a well-led school is this um, because they're looking for that. And then other responses coming through, well, this is one. So let's look at it, you know. So one person who works in exactly the same school views it one way, but you've got a group of staff who see it another way. And I often say to the schools I'm working with who have almost like this 50-50 split of people who are, really happy with where they're working and totally satisfied and would endorse their school and recommend it to others and then those who aren't. It's actually quite challenging in 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 that 50-50 split because you've got a you know a percentage of staff who are looking for really different things. And I say it seems like that in the beginning doesn't add as you're building your awareness. But once you kind of develop a bit more insight and you get more people actually seeing the school for what it is or seeing their leaders for what it is or their team then you kind of can sort of uh, almost like weed out uh, some of the noise and then you get to that sort of point at the end where you go, okay, this is what we actually need to do and develop the plan to uh, to be able to tackle that and, and to grow. Oh, sure. as we'll talk for about sure. it. All right, so your work with schools involves working with educators one-on-one uh, alongside, of course, working with teams, but working with those educators one-on-one to identify and address the issues affecting their well-being, both in their personal and professional lives through developing growth maps. So my first question here is, what are some common challenges or issues that you see educators facing in your work with schools and with staff individually? Yeah, cool. Um, you know, it's so interesting in the context of wellbeing in schools, there is this tremendous focus, obviously, on the prior, prioritising students because the purpose of schools is to foster lifelong learners, is to develop kind and resilient individuals, is to promote social interaction, support their emotional growth so that they've got the knowledge and the skills and the values that they need to become responsible and productive citizens in their lives. So our whole purpose of being at school is to do that. So there is Absolutely no doubt and no wonder that the priority is on the students. But I think over time and how life is changing in 21st century and things out, even outside, obviously, of a school setting, global pandemics and things like that have brought other things to life as well. And I think in majority of instances, we we kind of lead with this guilt trip as educators that if I focus myself on myself, then I feel guilty because actually my purpose is to be here for the students and to be here for their families. And, you know, if you're a leader, to be here for my team and And then it's like, well, hang on a minute, like, where's the time for me? And then the moment that you think about that, you get guilty and think, oh, I shouldn't be doing that because I should be doing this. And look at this to-do list at work that's too long. And this person's waiting for me to do this. And this person's waiting for me to do this. And it just gets totally lost. Um, 
And we know that if teachers and school leaders aren't well, how can they teach well and how can they lead well? And I I know in the past that I can be really honest and say that there were many times over the 12 years where I was not being my best self. I was not being the best teacher. I was not being the best leader. And that feeling was awful because I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. And it just built and built and built and built. And at the time, I didn't know that coaching was a thing. I don't know that it really was a thing. It definitely probably wasn't something that a school would have said, hey, yeah, go for it. Like spend some time on you. Let's get you well again in a personal and professional you know, capacity. It just wasn't a thing. Um, and now I think, my goodness, now that I'm doing it for others, how powerful it is and the, the success and growth that I've seen in so many individuals because of it, and something that was just so lacked. So I think while obviously teachers and school leaders, we're not trained as mental health professionals and we're not expected to, and we never will be, but I do feel so passionate and strong about equipping them with skills that allows them to address stresses, stresses and pressures and discuss and change habits and set boundaries and discuss deadlines and impacts and things that are impacting them individually and in their teams. Um, And I think vulnerability has also been something that's played a significant role Um, and being able to create a space for people to have that open communication, but also to support that on a whole school level is extremely hard. Um, And I think the power of challenge also comes into it because I think teachers I think challenge obviously can be positive challenge, but also negative in in its effects on you. Um, And I think teachers are often quite enjoy the challenge of having a lot to do. So prioritizing themselves to manage that is just something that's just not, I don't know, it wasn't taught to us at university. It wasn't something that was like, look, you're going to feel all these things, but remember you're number one. If you're not well, you're not going to teach well. So, you know, that was never discussed. I remember being like, you, you know, being at university and they'd say, you won't see your friends all term. And I remember thinking, what? What are they talking about? What do they mean that you're not going to see your friends and stuff during the term? Like these are professors and, and people at university saying what load a teacher takes and you have to be ready to take that on. And now I'm thinking, my goodness, how things have changed. Like, that is just crazy. Um, They also don't even talk about the challenges of our well-being in university either to prepare us. I know I've been approached by universities to work with them in their university programs to include a component of well-being. And they only want it to be very small and they almost don't want me to talk about or acknowledge the key stresses in the workplace because it might scare people. And I'm like... I feel like it's important to prepare people for that. And, you know, a lot of the research even talks about principal preparation programs and how they're they're not equipping um, leaders, especially school principals and deputy principals, with the skills to be able to support their well-being and and, and that of others. I, I, I think they think it will have detrimental effects, whereas I think we need to be more proactive, like what you're saying there. It's so important. For sure. Absolutely. And I think the last, the last challenge on sort of like a a school basis at the moment is, you know, so many discovery calls that I have about leaders that you can hear are just trying to tick a box. Mm -hmm. And I'm so honest with them in the discovery calls about the kind of schools that I work with, because if it's not at the heart of what they actually want to do and they're not passionate about making change, they're not going to make it consistent, they're not going to do all these things that we need the leaders to be doing. I am so honest in those discovery calls to say you are wasting your money 
having me involved because you're not going to get the outcomes that you're desiring because we're not on the same page from the very beginning. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that's a big call really early on for wellness, but it's true because otherwise I'm going to be sitting at schools and doing all these things. And it's actually detrimental to the staff because they're then going to hear that someone's coming in to do this. They've got a very good understanding of the leadership team. They've got doubt from the get-go knowing that you're coming in. They know that nothing's going to be done. Like it just, it's just a cycle. So there's got to be signs there that they genuinely want that change. And I think that's a challenge. Um, you know, there are some, there are, there are many schools that are all for it, and that's wonderful. But I think it still is a challenge where it's a bit of a ticker box, not a bit of a ticker box, it is a ticker box. Um, yep. and that's definitely been a challenge. Um, so in terms of challenges for teachers that I that I, you know, help, um, the list does go on because everyone is different. Um, everyone has got different challenges and Whilst the school, a lot of the work that I do with one-on-one teachers, the schools pay for as part of their professional development. And so the school are obviously investing in that. So there's got to be a balance between personal and professional um, well-being that we're not just sitting there talking about their lifestyle at home and what they need to do on individual level at home, but actually it's a mix of both. And as a coach, I've got to be mindful of that. And I've got to make sure that that guideline is clear from the beginning. And so that we're working on them being well at home plays a part on how they are at work and them being at work plays a part on how they are at home. So that's why I do both. And that's why I'm really honest with schools that I can't tell you that I'm going to sit here and coach your staff just on how they are at work, because actually how they are at home is important and vice versa. So again, I'm really open and honest about that as well, because it's so important, but you know, it's issues that I, that, that teachers are having in schools are ones that we've all heard before. Workload, workload, lack of resources, class management, student behavior, policies, procedures, parent involvement, technical integration that they're finding difficult, professional development opportunities lacking from COVID that kind of didn't really happen in COVID and then hasn't really picked back up, Um, student needs, work-life balance. But one big thing that I've noticed probably in the last six months and also with lots of the people that I've spoken to on the Wonders of Wellbeing podcast is around recognition um, and meaningful thanks for what they do. Um, as a really big part of their purpose and a bit of connection and belonging to a school setting. Um, and I think that's that's one that I've, yeah, that comes up really regularly that I don't think I've seen or, yeah, no, I, I just think that's one that if, if you went to someone and said, oh, what are the issues of schools, that wouldn't come up. But with the people that I'm working with, that is actually something that's coming up that's been really interesting. So, look, at the end of the day, it's a collect, it's a, it's a collective approach to staff wellbeing and that has the most significant impact. But I'm also so passionate about there are some individuals that need some one-on-one attention. There are some groups and teams that need some attention. But, of course, the collective, the whole, the consultancy is the the big picture. Um, But the other two play a a huge part in it as well. Yeah, and that that work, working with the individual on the one-on-one and the school providing that opportunity is um, often a missing piece of the puzzle when it comes to finding that solution. So I know when working with a school that, you know, there are measures that we can put in place and I say they're either culture building, prevention or intervention. And we're really good at doing the prevention things or even sometimes elements of culture building. But when it actually comes to offering that intervention for our staff who are struggling, what are we doing? And just suggesting access to the EAP often isn't enough or, you know, having a mental health first 
mental health first aid conversation isn't enough for those staff. So what can we offer them um, if we have that funding available to be able to support them? And I think work like what you're doing, where you're working one-on-one with the individual staff is really important. And although it's a cost for the school, it it really supports them to develop themselves personally and professionally, which of course then supports the overall outcomes of the school. So having that as part of the plan and that on offer for staff who are ready, willing and able to engage in that process, I think is more powerful than than, than what we will usually acknowledge. And mm-hmm. I, I also um, like and and really resonate with that you know, that theme of recognition and the meaningful thanks. And part of that, I think, too, is providing more opportunities for that consultation process and valuing the input and the feedback from our staff too. That shows our staff that we recognise their contributions, Um, you know, that we, before we make big decisions or before we move forward with something, we value the very, um, very valuable input of of our people, um, yeah. it's so it it means something as you said, different to everybody. Some of us, it's the more of the open thanks. Um, others, it's the provision of feedback on our professional practice. Um, some, it's that consultation process, and it's really, as you said, finding that whole school approach and realizing that wellbeing isn't a tick and flick. Um, that it's you know, I say that well-being gets woven into the fabric of the school. And as you'll appreciate it working in this space, and I know you take quite a similar inquiry approach into what you do, it's really diagnosing what's happening, what isn't happening and what could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I think that, you know, coming back to that element of your support moving forward might require you to do something whole school, team team-based or one-on-one. And you're not going to know that until you've, of course, taken a, a full sort of 360 view of what's happening across the whole setting. All right. So you also dive into uh, a what's called a growth map uh, with, I know, with your one-on-one work with, with, with staff, but also with teams and the whole school. So um, what is a growth map? <laughs> what's the, the benefits of de- developing one to support our wellbeing? Yeah, for sure. I um, it's actually interesting because it's a little bit like um, the pillars, um, the science of of wellbeing pillars. It's sort of interwoven. We actually use this growth map whether I'm working with individuals, teams, or whole school. And of course, there's it looks different in terms of what comes out of it, but what the steps are and what we're trying to do in each is actually the same. But of course, the vision of an individual and what they foresee things to be and what a school does obviously is different. So when I'm um, working uh, with a, I guess with, again, whether it's a one-on-one discovery call with a person on their own or whether it be a whole school, it all comes back to this same idea of what actually do they understand wellbeing to be as like that very first part of, of the growth because that changes everything. If they actually don't know They don't know what it is. They don't know what it should look like. They don't know what it does look like for them currently. They don't know the difference. They don't know that it's themselves and others, the responsibility conversation. Like all of that just plays such a pivotal part in 
where we then go to next and actually what their big vision and dream is of what things should be. So we kind of start initially with actually having a really open and honest conversation about that and actually asking whether it be whole school, team or individual about what their understanding is and sort of unpack that a little bit. Um, but then we we sort of deep dive straight into um, what the current situation is, what the strengths are, what the next steps, what their next steps want to be. Um, and this exploration, it kind of aligns really closely um, with that awareness part and that insight part of Richardson's work um, around what it is that they understand or what they're perceiving things to be in their own setting. Um, and we give them a needs-based assessment, whether that, again, be an individual, a team, or a whole school. So obviously, if it's a whole school setting, then we're asking questions as a collective. If it's a team, then it's just from a team perspective. And then if it's an individual, um, and it helps us sort of unpack where things are, what that, how they perceive things to be, um, but also not just blaming and finger pointing, but actually what would you like to see different? Mm-hmm. So that they're obviously got to say, but they're also thinking that I'm not just going to say all these things are not working and not take some ownership for how things that I think are working well, but could be tweaked, things that I think are completely missing and actually starting to have a little bit of a voice as well, because I know, and it's something that we'll talk about later, but about this idea of blame um, and responsibility comes into it as well. So sort of unpacking that in that insight and awareness part of the growth map being a really important part. Um, I hope I'm not confusing people here as I'm not, I'm sort of going across one-to-one group and whole school and sort of showing you how it works for all of them. They're all linked. Yeah. Yeah, they're all linked. So I hope I'm not confusing. What you do from a whole school um, perspective too and in that you know there will be schools who and do who hire you to work with all staff with teams and one-on-one which I think is the ideal um, way to get the mo- the most amount or the maximum amount of growth I'm yeah. going to keep using that word now I like it growth over growth. change <laughs> yeah. it's, not as, it's not as confronting um, is it yeah. yeah so no 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 keep doing that I think it um, provides people with that context yeah. of okay cool because I'm feeling like I'm chopping and I'm like goodness it's not even making no, sense I'm, I'm following so you're else. following okay awesome <laughs> so we sort of do that unpacking and then again if I was in an individual one-on-one um, they would have done that before our first session and then we sit down and we actually unpack it like this is what I noticed this is what I'm feeling that I'm seeing that are the strengths and we sort of just pull it all apart, um, ask them how they're feeling about it, how did they find it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the big part that comes next is around, I mean, really why they're sitting with me, whether that be a school, a team or, or an individual, what do they want to change? Why are they sitting in front of me? What is their desired state that they want to be different? Um, and this involves this like big, bold vision of how they want to live their lives professionally and um personally and envisaging this positive and fulfilling future that they need to gain some kind of clarity and motivation around. Um, and that's sort of the start of the wellbeing journey. So we spend a lot of time and a lot of questioning, obviously, as a from a coach perspective around them giving me the answers, not me telling, but me doing so much open-ended questioning and active listening to unpack for them. And you know, sometimes they sit down with me and they're quite, na- they might be quite narrow and a bit unsure. And as these questions, I ask these questions and get them to open up, all of a sudden we've just got all these keywords they've said. And as they're saying it, I'm jotting them down and sort of, I then reframe it back to them and they're like, really? Like, how did you get that? I'm like, this is everything you've just shared. Like these, are, I've just pulled out the key things as you've just sort of opened up. And it's amazing to see them realize that slowly as the questions are asked and you unpack, they get this clearer vision. And all the fog kind of lists, even though we haven't made any change, we haven't, I'm not saying that you have one session and you change, not at all. But this vision part of the growth map is 
to me, the most important, again, whether I'm working with a whole school, a team or an individual, what is your vision? What do you envisage? Hand on heart actually gets you excited thinking about actually, you can actually see the energy in them and you can actually see them saying, yes, like yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like That's exactly how I want to feel. That's exactly how I want it to look, you know, blah, blah. So that's that part of it. And, and I the next step that's that I think that that step there, as you said, you feel the power in it, is often what's what get, what gets missed. Sorry, that's a mouthful for me. <laughs> when schools try and tackle this work without the support of somebody else, there is that they go straight to developing a plan or a map of where they're going, but what what is that plan or that growth map working them towards? Um, if you haven't prefaced it with the vision first, then you have a whole bunch of actions that sound really nice but end up being too fluffy. And, yeah. and if you don't get around to all of them, then they're not actually, you know, really tending to the core needs of the school. Yeah. Um, and that is something I will alongside you emphasize needs to happen as part of your process is that like, what do we imagine the school will feel like look like sound like we'll all work together if we get to that desired state and then okay what do we need to then do to get us there but I think some people just go oh well workload's too much so let's just sort of yeah. strip all of these things back but yeah. you know what is it about the workload that's it's impacting like what are we not able to do that we want to be able to do in our future so I think I'm so with you on that vision setting that is a part that we should spend a huge amount of time and energy on crafting and like you said it builds that motivation in our people that we can actually get there or we have been there before or that you know it gives us that optimism which we really yeah. need to see growth and change we need to have motivation to keep going even through hard times yeah. and without yeah. a vision it's like well what are we doing this for where's the yeah. purpose yeah 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 and I actually get them to write it down like and people write it differently um whether it be a, a paragraph they draw it they do dot points like whatever it is and so many times we come back to it like the vision is something we continually come back to and it gets tweaked and it gets changed yes. a little bit and actually over time I've sort of that word's not as powerful I want that and it's not a this is the vision and it's not going to change actually it adapts all the time we're constantly tweaking it or saying oh this is actually more important or let's swap that it doesn't mean that the rest of the plan's gone or what we've done before is gone but of course it's going to tweak and change but it yes. is something that we always come back to no matter which service I'm working whether it's whole school to individual level we are always coming back to that vision um, to check in with it because that's the motivator as you said like that's what What's keeping us going that's what's going to get us through the hard parts and actually the next part of the of the growth plan is actually identifying challenges and and pinch points that we think we might face again whether that's an individual level or, or at a school level but also not just the challenges we think we might face so that we can foresee them but also how we're going to support that so before it just happens and then we think oh goodness now what we actually try to foresee okay what challenges do we think might happen but what's going to support that whether that be at a school level or an individual level, um, try to just unpack that again before we start to set this plan is actually, hang on a minute, let's just try to foresee. And I'm not saying that other challenges aren't going to come up. Of course they are. Um, but it just helps that mindset of like there are going to be challenges. Um, yeah. Are there any that you foresee? But also how are we then going to attack them when they do come um, rather than being kind of caught off guard and being too, oh, my goodness, everything's amazing. Actually, no, it's going to be hard and there's going to be things and let's see what we can yeah, I really like that part, that step in your approach because, and I remember doing it as part of the coaching process when working as a leader with staff when you'd established that 
coaching relationship, you'd talk about, you know, what could get in the way of this growth happening or this change or our coaching relationship. And, you know, you would always have those conversations. Well, you might get pulled off to do behavior management or your role is quite busy. And I think it opens up a bit of perspective there, um, that awareness, but also it almost like preempts a bit of forgiveness. Mm, (laughs) Yeah. You know, change is a process and the reason why it can take a minimum of three years to see any change or growth in, you know, as solidified as we'd liked it to be is because ultimately schools are places of constant interruptions, changing priorities, um, you know, government and departments changing plans, those kind of things. And I think foreseeing them in the beginning as part of the vision setting process, like what you're doing with schools, um, almost, yeah, like preempts those challenges that we'll face and almost, um, what's the word I'm looking for, primes some staff to um, be prepared that that might come, but we've acknowledged that early on and it gives us a good point of reference to in our communication messaging, like, oh, remember as part of the vision setting process we said that this might happen? Um, So let's offer a bit of grace to to one another. Yeah, for sure. love that. That's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So um, once we've kind of got that vision and we're sort of talking about, spoken about the challenges and the support, I mean, this vision should be making people feeling warm and fuzzy. Like this should be like a smiling ear to you. Like, yes, this is exactly what we're investing in <laughs> for you to be here. Yes. But actually it's just me unpacking it with them. It's all coming from them. Um, and so that vision and, and that part to me is the most important. The next bit or the action planning um, and actually um mapping out what's going to happen when um, is sort of the next bit. And that's where collectively with school leaders and all staff, they um, select two to three priority areas from the needs-based assessment that we got. Um, and then I meet with with the school leaders and we then start to unpack, okay, here are the two or three um, priority areas for now. And this is what's currently happening. This is where we want it to be. And then these are the steps that we're going to take. And that's that's quite a nitty gritty, who's responsible, by when, you know, that's sort of the nitty gritty um, part of it, but so important. Um, yes. And again, all that pre-work to me is the most important part. The action stepping is like the nitty gritty kind of coming down to the real basics and having to be very succinct in, in how it looks for it to be successful. But the front loading to me um, in those first few parts of the growth plan is just huge. Um and then we sort of get into the accountability conversation as part of the growth plan um, around what their responsibility, what they're, how they're going to approach the accountability, and how I can help um, in in that. Whether that be weekly chats, whether that be check in, whether that be to do lists, like how that looks to help them be accountable. But at the end of the day, it is them again. Whether that's school leaders, teams, or individuals, I'm there as an as an advisor, not actually as an operational point of view. So it's being really clear that I'm here to help you do this for yourself. But at the end of the day, it's you, and it's the same with the, <laughs> it's the same with the school leaders. You know, like I I can share all of this insight and I can unpack all of this for you and do all of this, but you are on the ground every day. Um, I'm advising your operational. That's the most important part. And I'm here to help in in whatever capacity you need that and what will work for you. Um, But that's kind of the end part that we sort of focus on is that accountability section. Um, And again, for majority... Yeah, and for majority of it, whether it's whole school or, you know, down to individual is check-ins with me. And that's where the follow-up coaching sessions come in um, and that helps with the accountability. So um, I think at the end of the day, the, the coaching framework mindset and this growth map um, and the pillars all just help whole schools, teams and individuals come back to their why. Mm -hmm. And that's where I find the growth map most important Mm -hmm. um, because in most instances it's lost. 
Yeah, and I think it links back to that element of accountability, which um, can, you know, we're all well-intentioned when it comes mm. to putting in place these, these, growth, uh, these growth plans or change plans in our school, but having something to come back to and a person to come back to to check in with you is really important because otherwise it gets lost amongst amongst all of the other competing responsibilities. And I know that when I was one-on-one coaching too, you saw the most growth when I would check in with those individuals every couple of weeks because you would, you know, you'd sort of have the plan ready to go, this is what you're working on, and then you'd kind of check in with them every two weeks to four weeks later. And you'd see that by the end of that period, things would begin to wane. So that motivation of checking back in, um, with your coach or consultant or with your plan of uh, or your growth map of where you're going and what you're doing is the thing that then, oh, that's right, we need to get back on track and work on this. So having that um, that sort of growth process mapped out for you, so what we're focusing on as we move through and really visually I think is super powerful and something that we can't, um, you know, we we really need to value as part of this process because just coming up with the ideas often gets lost with changeover in people and people and interruptions and all of those things. So, you know, it's such what you've developed and what you're working on with school sounds like just exactly what schools need to be able to achieve what they're looking for. So, well done. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, I know we've got a few more here, but I've, I'm also conscious of time. I don't yeah, know if you want yeah, to. Yeah, I think so you if you want to skip some of them. Yeah, I think you some of them and those, a lot of those questions yeah. by wrapping up in a nice bow. So, yeah. all right, well, we see a lot of uh, a number of quotes circulating on social media showcasing something really thought-provoking or inspiring from thought leaders from across the globe and throughout time. If a quote from you was circulating on the topic of health, well-being, or leadership, what would it say? Yeah, how interesting. I um, when I first because I actually bought like wellness was like a year and a half ago that I bought the domain and started to work on it, and from then I was I had this sort of like thing, this little quote that I had made up that I just sort of sat and just kept looking at as to as I started to build it, and it was consciously nurturing your own well-being is self-empowering, not selfish. Mm. I think we're still living, I mean, we've progressed definitely forward in a positive direction around it's okay to look after yourself and it's okay to prioritize yourself. I think when we're progressing in a positive direction, but there is still a huge, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done around people prioritizing themselves, but not just prioritizing themselves to be well, but actually consciously doing it. Because if you're not conscious of it, it doesn't happen. You know, like there might be one thing that you do that maybe you meditate every day and that just becomes a habit for sure. But there are going to be other things that come up in your life or other challenges that you have that the meditation doesn't help. So you have to be conscious about what is happening and actually consciously making changes to look after yourself and to not perceive that as being a selfish thing. Um, So, yeah, consciously nurturing your own well-being is self-empowering, not selfish. I would love to be something that wellness is is promoting and, and passionate about. Yeah, I love it. And it's so true. And like we said before, as leaders in particular, um, you know, supporting our well-being and being able to role model that to our staff actually um, leads to in higher levels of thriving and flourishing in our people overall. So we really can't uh, ignore how powerful that is. Right, this podcast is actually titled Well-Led Schools, which is a play on words to reflect those schools who lead with well-being in mind. 
What's one thing that you think schools or school leaders can do to prioritise wellbeing that would make the biggest difference? Consistently, visibly being consistent, Mm. I think is a huge thing that is really hard for leaders, but something that plays such an important role, especially in those early stages. Once things become practice and habit and part of the culture, it's a little easier because other people are then consistently doing these things. But, you know, it does it does trickle down. Um, and again, coming back to that purpose and value, if people in your school are looking at the leaders and thinking, well, they're not doing it, they're not being consistent, they're not taking this seriously, then people do just stop. Um, they lose trust, they lose inspiration, they lose motivation, and it doesn't matter what they do after that. <laughs> It doesn't wow the staff. It's the consistency to me that I think is the biggest challenge, but is something that if schools, if school leaders could be really conscious of, I think it would make a huge difference. Mm, I agree. And another thing you've mentioned a few times today, which I really loved was vulnerability too. And mm. the vulnerability when you're not being consistent is an awesome one to lean back on. Like, mm. oh, sorry, we dropped the ball there. And this is the reason why acknowledging that we are all human. Um, I think like, again, role modeling that as leaders is so important. You said it a few times today and I was like, ah, oh, I couldn't agree with you more. Vulnerability isn't weakness. Yeah. I'm a fan it's a strength. Yeah, for sure. And we're not, as you said, it's human to human. We're not robots. And I think, you know, if school leaders could really, really get to know their staff personally and professionally and be consistent in that as well, man, that would make such a difference. Um, and again, comes back to so much. So get to know themselves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, coming back to that one, one element. All right, Amy, where can the audience find you, take a look at your services, connect with your podcast, um, all of the things where, you know, um, we'll link it in the show notes, but if you want to um, sort of briefly uh, summarise that, that would be amazing. Yeah, for sure. Um, LinkedIn is where I'd be most, um, I'm most active. Um, just my name, Amy Parkinson. Um, you can visit my website, www.wellness-nest.com.au. Um I'm not active on, very active on Instagram, but I'm there, the Wellness Collective Co. Um, And yeah, or you can email me, amy at wellness.com.au. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all that you're doing. Again, I'm so impressed that, um, uh, you know, first of all, of everything you've built and what you offer. um, And as you sort of launch this, I guess, more formalised uh, model of your of your business all of your school consulting it's really amazing what you've what you've managed to achieve now and I'm so looking forward to seeing where it will go oh thank you so much thank you so much for having me on um, yes. thank you so much for your support I mean we're both doing the the same thing to support schools so two's better than one and there's obviously many 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 more out there yeah. doing it but I really yeah. appreciate your support and and the work that we're doing for the future of education it's awesome yeah Thousands of schools um, wanting many different things, um, gelling with very different personalities. So there's there's enough there's enough work and room for all of us in this space, isn't there? <laughs> we can't for sure. Schools each, can we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks so much, Amy. We'll be having you back on um, to our next ep- on our next episode to unpack the joint responsibilities of staff wellbeing. So people can tune into next week's episode too. So thank you. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in again today. My team, as always, has put together the show notes, which can be found wherever you're listening to this podcast, with easy access links for connecting with Amy. 
If you're keen to understand why your staff are struggling with their well-being, I encourage you to check out our anonymous staff well-being survey packages, which are designed to facilitate the process of collecting feedback from your staff and serve as a way to open communication and create collaborative conditions between leaders and staff. With the data collected from our survey, you'll be able to identify key priority areas for focus and make better and more effective decisions about staff well-being at your school moving forward. Visit adrianhornby.com.au forward slash staff hyphen wellbeing hyphen surveys or for quick access, refer to the show notes of this episode. Thanks so much for listening to Well-Led Schools. I look forward to connecting with you at adriannehornby.com.au. Here you can get in contact with me, learn more about my approach and join my mailing list. I'm Adrienne Hornby. Thanks again for your time and stay well.